Welcome to The Checkout. Melissa Young and Mark Dworkin, filmmakers, directors, producers of Works for All, a new documentary about worker-owned cooperatives in Cincinnati, Ohio. Thanks for making time for us. Glad to be here. Yeah, glad. So you folks um, have a bit of history and context with your interest in in worker ownership. Could you tell us um, how that started and some of the other work that you've uh, put into highlighting uh, this uh, enterprise model? Well, I have been interested since before Melissa and I even knew each other. Um, I was very, very much involved in SDS in college days. And there was a discussion in SDS about people should be able to participate in the decisions that affect their lives. And I, from early on, um, recognized when I worked in a place that it felt uncomfortable and I wish I had more power and control and thought about that idea. So I've liked worker co-ops that way. In one of my rounds of graduate school, we actually studied Mondragon. And at that, this is 40 years ago. And at that time, I imagined a very primitive situation of, you know, cobblers and little shops like exist in the country town where we live. And that which would have been fine. But when I discovered that it's as modern and sophisticated and complex as anything capitalists have to offer, and yet the people control it, it's amazing for me. Um, and one more piece you might want to pick up on. We first filmed with worker co-ops in Argentina. Yes, yeah. we, we uh, after the really dramatic economic collapse in December of uh, 2001 in Argentina, um, we visited uh, in, uh, I guess it was uh, February of 2002, and uh, just were very taken with people's response to the situation um, where the banks are shut, the, you know, people are having trouble finding food, um, but what there was a lot of solidarity amongst people um, in neighborhoods and schools um, and workplaces. And a number of workplaces were simply taken over by the workers um, at, when the uh, uh, companies were closing or the owners were making themselves scarce. And uh, and so then we that was that was the beginning of actually filming in in worker owned and controlled work workplaces and um it was it was pretty inspiring and uh we've been back to argentina uh again looking at such things and uh but uh you know in 2010 is when we started uh looking at uh worker co-ops here and uh in mondragon and that was uh what we filmed for shift change so tell us a bit about, oh, sorry, go ahead, Mark. Well, there's a minor addendum for your own background information. So we were told that Michael Moore and Naomi Klein each wanted to film at Mondragon and were told no. And I don't think we were told yes because we're better looking and not because we're more, better known. But And we were never told why. But my guess is that Michael Moore's work and Naomi Klein's work and nothing against them involves is a lot about them oh yeah Naomi <laughs> Klein just wrote a whole book about herself essentially yes <laughs> and, and, and it's never is, about uh, us except acquired them. taste yeah. so yes <laughs> yeah. and so it was interesting um 
We had some contact information through organized labor, including a guy named Bill Witherell of the United Steelworkers, who had a relationship with Mondragon. And so we approached their contact person in the States, Michael Peck, and told them what we were interested in doing. And we had some indications of support from activists in this country, so they'd have an idea of the kind of crowd we mix in and where it's likely to go. And he he took it to whatever leadership in Mondragon and got um, potential endorsement. But when we got back in touch with him, he said, we're not sure, Mondragon's not sure we want to participate in your project. And we said, well, gee whiz, you know, here we are psyched, wanted to do it. And he said, well, because enough people know about us, Mondragon, if you want to do this to encourage worker co-ops in the United States, we'd love to be a part of it. And that was why we wanted to do it, you know. So we already had in mind that we would um, showcase worker co-ops in the States because the last thing we'd want people in this country to say is, gee, isn't that wonderful? Too bad we can't do it here. Well, we can do it here. So that was wonderful. And after that, they were incredibly supportive. They made it easier for us, um, helped us travel around in Mondragon region um, so that we got more done in the course of a day because they knew where to go and because they'd opened some doors and said, you know, um, these folks will be coming his next Tuesday morning good, et cetera. So it was wonderful that way. Melissa, anything you want to add? Um, oh, just that I did a lot of work actually to get letters of support from uh, worker co-op and uh, sort of social justice organizations in the U.S. who agreed that they wanted this film uh, before Mondragon agreed. Uh, to do it. Um, so, uh, but we got that support. And I think it also then, of course, helped the film get out there once it was made, because people knew it was coming. Um, so, uh, and I really, really enjoyed being in in uh, Mondragon, being in Basque Country. Oh and I have a background in, in Latin American studies, speak Spanish well. Um, not Basque, <laughs> we learned a few things like uh thank you hello and uh uh basically cheers for or what you say when you're going to have a drink yeah right yeah <laughs> yeah i actually had a brief obsession about not only mondragon but basque country and read mark Kurlansky's books you know cod and uh basque history of the world and read a lot about that area of mm -hmm. the world mm -hmm. so have you visited uh not yet I do plan uh -huh. to at some point. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful country, I yeah. think. And uh, we had a we had a lovely time there. Excellent. So um, one of the places we visited in Basque country was Guernica. Sure. Which I was taught as Guernica, but it, the Basque people say Guernica. And it looks like, you know, what happened there in the, you know, in the Spanish Civil War. And the Picasso were, painting, right? The bombing yeah. of Guernica. Yes. So I saw something recently that is wonderful. In Guernica, hundreds of people wearing colored capes that matched colors from the Palestinian flag. Beautiful. Laid themselves in the area that was bombed in a pattern that matched the flag. It's, it just blows that's, my mind. That's you know? intense. That's amazing. Yep. Yep. It is probably the closest modern day equivalent to, to that. So that's, that's wonderful to hear. And uh, wonderful to hear about that solidarity too. Yeah. 
I get tingles thinking about it. You know, it's just so wonderful. I mean, we feel that way. I'll bet you feel that way. But so many of our fellow U.S. Americans don't necessarily. Oh, no. It's wonderful to see it when it's strong. Yeah, no, I've, I've done a couple podcasts about that. So it's good to hear, hear you guys say that. But I do want to talk a little about Cincinnati um, and mm -hmm. not Starline Chili. Um, I want to talk not about your working. favorite. It's it's fine. It's po it's pasta with with chili. Like you know, it's you know we the actually, Midwest thing ever, right? <laughs> we, we actually never tasted it. <laughs> but Kristen, we're yeah. a lot of times when we're filming someplace, we'll ask people what's typical of the city. So if we put pictures on the screen, people that know will recognize. Okay, they were really there or whatever. Yeah, you know? yeah. And that she was, said, it was the first scene in your movie. Deal, so. Yeah, it was like the first scene in your film, and it was like the, the chili shop. I was like, oh, they're definitely in Cincinnati. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about how Cincinnati, of all places, you know, on, on the Ohio River, on the border of Kentucky, in the heart of the deindustrialized Midwest, you know, sort of red-blue state struggle, how that place became the sort of heartland of worker co-ops in the United States. I think you'd have to ask the the people help who helped found it um, yeah. to get all all those details. Um, the uh, it was a group of four people who uh, were looking at the economic inequality in Cincinnati and came from different traditions, from labor, from um, nonprofit sector, and uh, uh, immigrants and uh, they uh, came together, they did some studying of Mondragon. Um, they also met with a whole lot of uh, organizations and, and groups in Cincinnati to kind of brainstorm what kinds of things might work out if they did try and take on such a project. Um, and uh, before they ever, you know, set up co-ops or set up the network, um, so they really involved people, got a lot of input. And uh, I think that has really contributed to their uh, being able to do a lot. Um, so, you know, that that's, uh, I think they have a strong motivation, right? To making, um, making the city a more uh, equitable place for everybody who lives there, so. So something that impressed me when at the 19 at the 2019 conference in one of the workshops ellen holding her then baby in her arms it's lovely to see in the workshop with a woman with a baby and she's still politically active and doing stuff you know explained about the nearly year that she and kristen principally spent consulting with local groups and it got them a lot of buy in but it also suggests to me that people were really open to worker co-ops cuz they would have had that in mind when they started, but then if people were not excited about it, or you know, they might have gone a different direction. But I think they found there was fertile ground that way, and I I love what they're doing. Mm -hmm. What were a couple of the, or you know, one or two of the enterprises that really stood out in your film? Like what what sticks in your mind and why? Well, the, a lot of them had had really strong things about them. You know, they're quite a diverse group of co-ops. Um, I really liked seeing the co-ops that were um, led by and largely uh, immigrants, 
Um, so Sustainergy, which is so relevant to today's climate issues, um, I thought that was a terrific uh, co-op. Um, and uh, the uh, house cleaning co-op of women, um, largely Latin American women, uh, I thought those were, were terrific. Um, and then we really, you know, liked seeing uh, the, it's called Heritage Hill, where people are producing um, these wonderful t-shirts and other things with really strong um, mottos and statements from African descended people. Um, it was, that was a terrific one to visit. Uh, I don't know. I, I, each each has have their different things. We're also very interested in food and farming. So the um, our harvest um, was also of, of great interest. So I don't know, you know, they each have It's actually things. a good segue because I was going to ask you a good half of your film. Um, and, you know, listeners know this is a this is a grocery industry focused podcast that leans into economic and social justice. But you, you know, a good half of your film were, were food enterprises, including uh, Gem City Market and um, Our Harvest Farm and Food Hub. Could you tell us a little bit more about those two enterprises, how they're structured, what, you know, what makes them different than other uh, grocery stores or food wholesalers and, and farms? Well, principally that the people who work there run it. I mean, part, part of what we try to do in our films, though it seems like I'm stepping back a little bit, I don't know so much. A lot of what we try to do in our films is make it real for the viewer, that this is some, this exists. And, and not to have the narrator, sometimes we're we need to have some words of explanation. In this film, we chose to put them on the screen and not have one of our voices doing it. Um, but to, as much as possible to have the story told by the people that are there living through the experience, you see their faces. If you're a skeptical viewer or you're a relatively uninformed viewer, you make a connection. You feel, okay, these I like that guy. He's kind of like me or whatever. You know, I'll pay more attention to what that person is saying. Um, and so in each of those cases, there's more people involved. It's a bigger enterprise. And um, what's it called? Queen Mother's Market. Yeah. That Mona wants to start. You know, she wants to do something like what Co-op Dayton has already done. And we wanted to show an example to people. It's lovely that it's near um, Cincinnati and that they consider themselves to be in solidarity and supporting one another and following each other's example. Um, but it also helped, even if they weren't, if there was a way to show an example of such a market already up and running, we want to do that for people watching. Instead of, instead of like me imagining the Mondragon is a couple of cobblers working by hand making boots, you know, that, that looks like a supermarket. I understand. I, exactly. I recognize. Okay, that's real. Yeah. They they really can do it. I really thought that the uh, our harvest commitment to regenerative agriculture was terrific, um, and how they have set it up in some ways to help do education and outreach um, for uh, educational groups, um, people doing drug rehab. Um, so the being out in the fields and uh, working with plants um, is, I'm a gardener. 
<laughs> so I find that healing. I, I consider it my psychotherapy, uh, my garden. Um, I thought that was terrific. Uh, the food hub, which distributes a lot of what they produce, uh, is, is also a, a terrific branch of that cooperative. Um, and the Coleman's, Zeke and Tia, who uh, we feature, we were able to feature for that segment, I thought were really interesting. And I, I just so appreciated uh, Zeke's stories, um, which I think highlight the difference between how um, somebody working in a maybe a similar job elsewhere, what the difference is um, for somebody uh, where you actually have a say on the job. And uh, I thought his stories were were really appropriate and and helpful, I think, to people, maybe, we hope, <laughs> to understanding what it means to be a part of a, a worker-controlled enterprise. Um, and, you know, more than anything, I think what we saw that I that was so valuable, uh, not just in those enterprises, but the the value of the network. I mean, one of the things that we uh, could see was all of the support for these cooperatives. Um, weekly meetings with somebody who has a lot of uh, experience. Um, the these uh, co-op training courses they do to really help people make a transition from very individualistic and or capitalistic uh, experiences uh, into a more community-oriented and cooperative um, mindset. Uh, and uh, or the courses they do with business owners to try and encourage them to think about um, becoming a cooperative enterprise. Uh, I just, uh, I'm, I'm very impressed with all of the support uh, because it's a big deal, as you know, in this uh, economy, which is dominated by a different way of doing business. And I have long wanted the world to function entirely in a cooperative way, that much local control as possible. And it's a daunting thing, especially in the face of who wants to stop that. Um, but I was impressed by a lot of what the folks are doing in Cincinnati is what would be needed in any place to help it work. Find business owners who are open to it and, and help them discover it together how it might be done and how it could be tailored to that, you know, so they can feel like it reflects their values. I was going to mention something else about food issues. If we had time and we're making a film only about that part of Cincinnati, there'd be more to tell. And one of the things that's pretty neat we filmed with some folks from Nepal, maybe. Someplace in Asia, recent immigrants, um, by and large, didn't speak very good English, but I think it was one of their kids who helped translate. And they have a patch of land where they're growing foods that are meaningful to them. And it's helping them to settle in this new place where they're going to live. So that's a piece of what the farm does. Is it gives, so here are some people coming from halfway around the world and they can sink some roots, if you will, in the Cincinnati area under the auspices of the farm. It was Bhutan. Bhutan, right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, unfortunately, the accents were thick and it was sort of hard to understand. And we thought, well, it might not really work with all due respect to the nice people that were involved. And we also have done, 
In the 90s, we did films against genetic engineering and agriculture. Um, in the in 2007, six, five, six, seven, we did a film about um, local sustainable farming in the Northwest, which is broadcast nationally. And so we've really had a strong interest in those things and want to take what we do. to. And one other piece, when we think about new projects, because there's any potential number of potentials, even if we're getting older now, we're not doing it much. But over the years, when we thought about new projects, a piece that we would think about is who do we want to spend the next couple of years with? <laughs> filming, learning about them, getting to know them, filming, editing, putting it out in the world. And we love the idea of spending it with organic farmers. So that's cool. Okay, we get to hang out with these good people for a while. We learn more ourselves. We like what they're doing, you know. So that that's a piece of why we, we always care about that part of things. That's great. Well, I can't disagree with you on that. Well, we're coming up on time here. Um, anything else you'd like folks to uh, know about the film or, or why they should see it or uh, where and when it will be available uh, for viewing? Because uh, uh, it is a, a wonderful short film and I want to encourage our viewers to seek it out when it is released. Thanks. Well, it's being distributed by Bullfrog Films, which is probably the largest environmental distributor in this country, if not in the world. Um, and we've, we, our genetic engineering films, they distributed those. So that was starting 30 years ago, or nearly. Which I probably saw those when I was getting involved in that movement. So that's really hmm. cool. Risky Business was one yep. of them. Yeah, totally. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I've been on the board of non-GMO project now for eight years and uh, helped set up, if you've ever seen the butterfly logo, uh, helped set that up in the marketplace when I worked at Whole Foods Market. So it's, uh, you guys probably influenced me 25 years ago. Maybe. So the the people that are in, who founded Bullfrog Films are a couple about our age and their son's getting involved in the business now too. Um, they, they as much, they're business people to the extent that they have to pay the bills and they have a staff that has pay and benefits um, and they get our stuff out there. You know, they have an online catalog, they go to, con you know, go to conferences and have displays that they consider it's a conference that might be interested in giving films, et cetera. And we've become really good friends. We definitely see eye to eye on anything we talk about pretty much. They actually live in the country near Reading, Pennsylvania where they started when Rodale, Rodale was still there, I think. They were they were connected to Rodale. They originally were going to make films for Rodale for educational purposes and maybe still do, but ended up realizing that if they could do more distribution was called for and they were they had a mind to do it. So we become good friends. They visited us, we visited them. And I was surprised when we sent them uh, Works for All, having no idea whether they would like it. And they said, this is inspiring. They never said that to us before. This is inspiring. We think it's one of your best things, you know, and it's kind of like, it's not nearly as big as shift change and Argentina hoping hard times and stuff like that. On the other hand, all of us, whenever we do something new, we try to do it as well as we know how, which means we learn from prior experience. So I could see where there's ways in which it's probably better made or more comprehensible or whatever, you know? So we were delighted. They're excited about it and they want to do what they can to get it out there. So uh, the easiest thing is to, if you want to contact Bullfrog, which is 
distributing the uh, uh, film is to uh, go to Works for All at Bullfrog Films. <laughs> easy, easy to do rather than try and give you the letters and stuff. Awesome. Well, yeah. I appreciate you guys for, for making the film. I also just really want to call out how you centered uh, immigrant um, and, and black people, um, worker owners who, you know, don't always get that kind of attention in, in these sort of cooperative uh, movements. And we're seeing now a much larger movement around people of color leading uh, the cooperative movement, as, as it should be considering the history in this country around uh, economic empowerment and cooperatives, W.E.B. Du Bois is documented, et cetera, uh, not to go on, but I just want to appreciate how you guys centered, um, particularly the one that hit me hard was uh, the Food Hub gentleman, I think his name, his name was Zeke, uh, Coleman, Zeke Coleman, and talking about, um, you know, some of his experiences working in chicken processing and contrasting that to the cooperative, I mean, that, that really hit hard. So, um, yeah, like I said, I really want folks to see this film. I think it was great. So we, um, when we began working together as a matter of principle, not practice, but principle, we thought, well, we need to include men and women. We need to include black, white, and so on. That's the right thing to do. And so we did, but we learned very quickly that we got more richness that way. We hadn't thought about it in quite that way. But of course, to me, it seems obvious now after all these years, you know, but at the time it was more, you're supposed to do this. So we want to be good people and do it. But then we soon discovered everybody looks at the world differently and it comes out of their own life experience and they have their own positives and negatives and things to offer and things not to offer. And by including an array of people, we know we're covering the subject more thoroughly. It has to be. Mm -hmm. And we always, we always like it that way. And, and the other thing is um, we get all these surprises. So we didn't expect Zeke to talk about people being fired after Obama got elected. We had no idea intense mm -hmm. and if we didn't if we weren't you know respectful and asking them what they thought and tell me more and stuff like that we might not have even heard that yeah i mean we've hired on to other filmmakers occasionally who have a film in mind but they don't have the camera equipment and don't know how to actually do that part we do that part they do the interviewing and one guy in particular he would finish his interviewing and they say i got what i need okay let's wrap up when melissa interviews if she gets to the end of the first, she starts out by saying, there's no right or wrong answers. We really want to know what you think. Please believe me. It's true. We really want to know what you think. You know more about it than we do. That's why we're here. And then at the end of the question, she'll say, is there something that is important to you that we didn't even bring up? You know, this other guy didn't care. And we've got time and again, our best material by asking people, is there something important to you that we didn't think to mention? We, we were at a conference once when a woman from the National Film Board of Canada was talking about how this all works. And she said, you write a grant proposal and you have the situation, you know, defined and you go out and do some filming. And when you get back, you throw away the grant proposal because you've learned so much, you realize it wasn't really on point and now have a new understanding thing. That's what happens for us. And I, in terms of including people of color, immigrants and so on, I mean, the credit goes back to call Cincy. Uh, because they have developed this network, which includes all these different um, communities in in uh, in Cincinnati, and uh, as it's not a simple process, and uh, I just I I give them the credit for that. 
It's wonderful to see. And it's wonderful to see that, that, that leadership development bearing fruit and the depth of support in the community and the, just how you know, clearly articulate and, and inspiring uh, the interviewees mm -hmm. in this movement were. Well, we really hope that people will watch the film and think about their own community. You know, how could we develop something like this? Not exactly the same, but how could we use this model and develop something in our town or in our city? Um, so that's what we that's what we hope. That's what I hope. May uh, a thousand new worker co-ops spring from uh, <laughs> seeing I'll this film. Thanks. Uh, Melissa Young, Mark Dworkin, uh, wonderful to uh, meet you. Um, been a longtime fan. I didn't even realize it until, until we uh, corresponded today. Uh, and thanks for making Works for All. You're quite welcome. Hey, this is Errol Schweitzer, host of the Checkout Podcast. The Checkout is proud to be part of the Labor Radio Podcast Network with more than 200 labor radio shows and podcasts from across the country and around the world. The Labor Radio Podcast Network, where working people speak. Find us at laborradionetwork.org.